Hey everybody and welcome to the first installment of So Stignatious, the podcast where the name is made up but the people are real. This is a three episode bomb to give you listeners a taste of what is to come. But before we dive into the first episode and our first guest, I want to give you a little intro to me. My name is Jake Curhan. I'm a 21-year-old student athlete at UC Berkeley. Over the past two years, I've started the last 25 games for Cal football. I'm going into my redshirt junior year and decided it's about time to share my passion for passions with the world. Like a lot of people, I have a bunch of diverse interests and once I have a career, I want to do something that I love. Over the course of this series, I'm going to talk to very diverse people whose passions have driven them to do really interesting things. I'm going to discover how they found and acted upon their interests, all in the hope of helping me and everyone listening do the same. This first episode is with a former teammate of mine, Patrick Laird. For those not familiar with Pat, he walked on to the Cal football team, bounced around a lot of different positions, and eventually earned a scholarship and became the star player of the program. After Pat's breakout season in 2017, he created the Patrick Laird Summer Reading Challenge to combat youth summer learning loss, all because of his passion for reading. We talk about the walk-on mentality, take a dive into the origins of the reading challenge, go into his lesser-known passion for music, and catch up on what he's been up to since graduating. All right, Pat, thanks for uh, coming on with me today. Yeah, of course. Happy to happy to be here. Oh. Awesome. So, uh, just a really, really, you know, brief overview. Um, tell the people. I mean, a lot of people listening to this are going to be pretty familiar with who you are, um, all the Cal people. But uh, can you just give a real brief overview of yourself? Who is Patrick Laird? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in a small town called Arroyo Grande in California on the Central Coast, just south of San Luis Obispo, and I'm one of six one of six kids, so I kind of came from a big family, and everyone played sports, and everyone was pretty competitive, um, and uh, I was fortunate to have both my parents were pretty educated, so the thing that they stressed before sports was school, and that really played the biggest decision in what college I chose to play football at. And when I was making my decision, I saw that uh, Cal had the, one of the best business schools in the country, and I had been interested in business for, you know, since I was a little kid. So I literally chose Cal because of that, and then obviously good good football. And then um, uh, I wasn't like highly recruited, so I, I was a preferred walk on at Cal, and just kind of worked my way up the depth chart. Ended up starting by my junior year, um, started my junior senior year, and then that's kind of when my career <clears throat> career trajectory changed and decided that you know I, I want to want to pursue playing in the NFL and um, so that's what I'm doing now I'm currently uh, just signed an undrafted free agent contract with the uh, Miami Dolphins so that's uh, that's what I've been up to recently yeah awesome uh, can we go back and talk a little bit about your decision to come to Cal as a walk-on were you thinking about you know doing college as a non-student athlete, I guess a regular student anywhere else, or 
what kind of was really the driving factors other than, you know, Cal's obviously one of the best schools in the country. Like what were driving factors for you to decide to, to want to play football um, as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I really fell in love with football my sophomore year of high school. I, I used to just really love basketball and put like most of my, you know, hours outside of school, just playing basketball. Then when I, you know, fell in love with football in high school and my older brother was playing college football. He, he played out East at Cornell. And so I just, my sophomore year kind of switched my mindset from basketball to football and wanted to, you know, go out East and play Ivy league football like my brother. And then I had a good, good senior year. My coaches thought, Hey, maybe you could play uh, at a, a little better level. Um, not that Ivy league football isn't good, but um, they thought maybe, uh, you know, the higher division one um, level. And so uh, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm interested, but I don't want to sacrifice the academic side of things. And that's, then they sent my film out to uh, some schools and um, Cal came back with a preferred walk-on opportunity. And that's when I really dove in, did my research on Cal and how special the academic school it is. And um, not that football was a afterthought. I mean, it was definitely a big part of my decision. It was just like, I was just, I had no idea that I would have the opportunity to play in the NFL. So I wanted to just pick the best school for me. And then, you know, I'd obviously want to try to play as much football as I could when I got there. But, you know, when I showed up to Cal, I really thought that, you know, if I play special teams, I'll be happy with my four years or five years. Um, and then after a few workouts and running around with all the guys and a couple of practices, that's when I really realized that, you know, I could play at this level and, kind of switch my mindset you know I don't want to play just special teams I want to eventually you know play play running back or you know get on the field more and contribute to the team and um, <clears throat> that's kind of how I thought about it uh, I wasn't you know I, I was going to be happy either way whether I just played special teams or um, ended up being the starter I think I would have been happy either way just because I knew that uh, the education I was getting at Berkeley was going to be something special yeah I, I had a little different situation i had some opportunities and and uh scholarship offers to go to a lot of places but um at the end of the day it was the same thing for me because it's you know the strong family values both of my parents did their undergrad at ivy league schools and um a lot of my extended family did the same so it was at the end of the day i had options but there were really only a couple options that that were good enough because education is always number one um, right. can we dive a little more into your, your mindset when you got here about, I know how you were talking about how football, you just wanted to, you know, like you, you realized you'd be good enough to get on special teams and then eventually, uh, end up starting. But how about the academic side of things? Was it tough to adjust to the schedule of a, a D1 college football player? I think, I think my high school, so I went to a, a small private high school called uh, Mission College Preparatory Catholic High School, kind of a long name, but it was a college prep school, um, not a prep school that you go to that's, you know, between high school and college, you know, it's not, it's not one of those things, it's a normal, you know, four-year high school, but uh, they, the, the culture there is very, you know, college-oriented, um, and I, I thought the classes were pretty tough, I think, for, for a lot of high schools, so when I showed up to Berkeley, um, I think I, I was very fortunate to have gone to, to my high school. And, you know, while it was, 
it was challenging. I think it was my transition was a little bit easier just because of that experience in high school. And then obviously, like my priorities was, you know, school first. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I think for every kid transitioning from high school to college, there's some tough aspects to it, you know, socially um, or, you know, being away from home or, you know, managing time um, or managing your time. So uh, it, it was tough and it presented some challenges, but I, I think I was very fortunate to have uh, have gone to that high school. And then, and then I have three older siblings that have, you know, graduated from college as well. And so, um, you know, they kind of set the standard for you know, how you go about taking care of business in, in college. You can have fun with your social life and your extracurriculars like football or athletics, but you have to, you know, stay focused on school as well. Um, so you talked a little bit about how you eventually realized that you would have a, a real chance to play on more than just special teams. Is there a specific moment where you realized that? Uh, I think, okay, so it was... Uh, our very first conditioning as freshmen. So I don't, for everyone out there listening that um, I'm sure every college team does it differently, but you know, I think most do it like this where when the freshmen show up, they kind of work out on their own and uh, they were, you know, away from like the older guys. And um, so they'll do conditioning on their own. And so it was the very first conditioning with all the new freshmen, um, you know, all the scholarship players, all the walk-ons and, uh, our head coach, our offensive coordinator, some of the position coaches were all out there watching us. And uh, I don't know if it's just that I showed up in better shape or, or whatnot, but I was just, you know, beating everyone on the sprints. And um, I actually was recruited as a, as a fullback. And that's when the offensive coordinator came up to me and asked me if I wanted to play running back um, after that, just because he saw my athleticism, saw my change of direction kind of as I'm running with everyone. And then, you know, doing seven on seven stuff with all the, the older guys as well. Um, just the way I was able to run routes and cut, some of the older guys were saying, you know, I remember Bryce Treggs specifically said something like, you know, this guy can run an out route really well. It was kind of just a random moment, but uh, it was kind of in, you know, in those few times just early on in the first like month or two that I was on campus, uh, had a couple, you know, conversations with people and um, yeah, kind of just build your confidence with by doing things like that. Yeah, and you had, I mean, that's that's really early on, like your first summer when you showed up, you realized you'd have an opportunity. And uh, you had an interesting path here where you were kind of, like you briefly mentioned, you switched positions a whole lot of times. Um, uh -huh. How Did that really affect your mindset at all? Or you, it was a, no matter what the switch was, you're like, great, let's go. Uh, I can do this just as well as I can do the other ones. Or did that kind of, was that kind of tough for you? Well, my switch from fullback to running back was a, a very welcoming switch for uh, for myself. I, did, sure. I don't think I wanted to play fullback. Uh, very happy to switch to running back. But I remember, so I played running back my freshman year all throughout the uh, the uh, the spring. And then the, um, the receiver coach came up to me and told me that they wanted to move me to receiver. And I was like, I was pretty bummed about it to be honest. And then, so I played a whole year at receiver and they redshirted me and I was bummed about being redshirted because I, I played my true freshman year and I thought that was cool. So I wanted to, you know, play four years and then, um, you know, then leave, but uh, they wanted to redshirt me play, and I played receiver for a year. So it ended up being like 
one of the best years of my life, just developmentally and socially. Um, and then when they mo- wanted to move me back to running back after playing for receiver for a year, because I felt like I just started to kind of figure out receiver and stems and how to set up DBs and all that. I was kind of getting confidence in the position and really falling in love with it. Uh, they called me in before spring ball and they asked me to move back to running back with our new offensive coordinator. And so I was kind of bummed again. Um, but I think both those times when I switched and I was bummed within like 24 hours, I just looked at it as like, okay, this is just going to be a cool opportunity. Um, you know, I'm going to do what the coaches ask. And then obviously, uh, kind of fell, fell back home or went back home at the running back position. And, um, I don't think I have any plans to change uh, now that I'm in the NFL. I think the coaches uh-huh. like me at running back, and uh, I'm pretty happy to stay here. Sure. Um, so I don't think people at home necessarily realize how difficult it is to be a walk-on on a Division One football team um, because, you know, everybody has to do the same – mandated stuff and then you got to do even extra to prove yourself and prove to your coaches and teammates that you you know kind of are the same as as everybody else um and for a lot of guys unfortunately um all all the mandated stuff in the early morning and uh staying late at night during the season it's kind of tough and they end up not playing the duration of their eligibility um, did, mm-hmm. and for you, your guy who prioritizes academics and did that ever, did that thought ever cross your mind that maybe, you know, like it wasn't worth it to be doing all this stuff or was it, you know, from the jump, I'm going to get out there, I'm going to play and I'm going to earn a scholarship. I, I don't think the thought, uh, seriously crossed my mind and, and I'll say this, uh, Cal was definitely, it's definitely one of the better places, at least with the last two coaching staffs, to be a walk-on. I mean, and but I'm, I'm not downplaying the the challenge that being a walk-on presents, but I just think the, you know, the Cal with the last two coaching staffs, they've given a lot of opportunities um, to walk-ons, I think, just because they see the value that, in that. And, and then there's like other other college football programs are also seeing the value, um, like Clemson, um, their captain this year, Hunter Renfro, uh, a lot of people in college football know him, and I, I got to know him uh, this past season just because uh, we bo- we're both up for the same walk-on award. But um, p- coaches are seeing the value in it, so they're you know there's the the stereotype of the the walk-on tryouts where they just kind of bring in guys to be um, you know punching bags. I think the game is trying to is is tra- transitioning away from that just because I, coaches realize we have an imperfect recruiting system, but. Uh, no, it, it's it's still challenging, and I I totally get how walk-ons feel when they they feel like they're not getting the same look because whether a coach says, "Hey, I treat all my players the same," there's going to be a little unconscious bias when it comes to evaluating players because if they spend sixty hours writing this kid letters and talking to his mom and visiting his home, and they need sure. to compare him to this kid that just shows up and you know, wasn't really recruited, uh, they're going to give a little bit more attention to that kid. They spent a lot of time recruiting talking to their parents. So there's, there's the challenge of that. And so I totally get it when walk-ons, um, feel like that. Uh, but for me, the reason I think, I think two reasons that I, I, I just kept persisting and, and didn't really let that get me down was 
one, I just, I love football and I love the whole process of the game. Um, I love working out. I love working on, you know, the, the small little things, the footwork, you know, catching the ball, running routes, um, just all that stuff. I, I really enjoy it. And then the second thing is, and I don't think I really realized this my first two years, but I started to realize this, I think my third through fourth through fifth season at Cal was the sort of life lessons and the, uh, like the character building that is presented with football. Um, I really think football is a, a machine for character development. And so if you're a walk-on and it's getting tough and it's your third season and you don't know if you're going to play by next year and all that, I mean, if you hate it, I, I, you know, don't keep playing. But if, if you still enjoy the game, but you're, you might, you want to quit because there's no playing time in your future, I'd say stick with it because there's so many other benefits to the game of football and being on a team and, um, you know, really pushing through all that adversity because, you know, when you get out into the real world and I still feel like I'm not in the real world yet, but, uh, you know, whatever challenge is thrown your way, I think you'll be able to handle it well just because of your experience. And this is for all college football players, but, uh, you know, just from my experience as a walk-on, I feel like any challenge presented in my life, I can, I'll be able to push through just from like the tools I've learned. Um, I know it's kind of a long answer, but I've, I've thought a little bit about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I guess I want to talk a little bit more about when you really started to, to break out and kind of become one of the poster guys here at Cal for your uh, last couple of seasons. Um, so I remember, cause I was red shirting uh, your, I guess that would be your red shirt sophomore year. I was red shirting. Um, uh -huh. I remember we were playing Washington at home and we were getting our asses kicked. It was completely, it was an ugly game. Um, yeah, but late, late in the game, you ended up getting the first touchdown of your career. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you and what it meant for you? Cause I, I remember when you got to the sideline, everyone was all over you. Um, and it was, I mean, it wasn't a great game, but it was, it was a great moment in the game. Yeah, I remember, I remember that vividly. And I remember coming to the sideline feeling bad about how many people came up to me and were congratulating me because I think we were down like uh, at least over 40, maybe, maybe even more. Um, it, it was ugly. But, yeah. And it was, I appreciated everyone coming up and, and being so happy for me because I didn't, I didn't realize in the moment how big, I mean, for people listening, I guess it, some people probably don't care, but for like a college football player, I think scoring a touchdown is a pretty cool thing. Um, it's something I so probably like won't every, ever get to do, but uh, maybe though, maybe put you in at tight end and uh, we'll um, see on like a, hopefully a fake yeah, tackle fake eligible. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I I just remember how many of the team like you know teammates just came up to me and congratulated me, even though we we're you know like you said getting our asses kicked. Uh, it, it was just a really cool moment and I tried to act cool and not celebrate and not smile because we were losing. Um, but you know, mm -hmm. after the game and people just talking to me about it, I just, I, I realized, you know, not many people get that opportunity to score. And if that was my last touchdown in my career, I would have been a, a happy football player, happy college football player. But, uh, fortunately I had a, 
couple more opportunities to get some touchdowns. But uh, yeah, that that was a cool moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I think everyone that was around remembers that pretty vividly because, you know, that's kind of like that's a big moment for a guy that did walk on, and that's a big reason why everybody was was so happy and so proud of you for that moment. Um, and I don't think at the time people thought as much of it as it ended up turning into, but I do remember the off season after that, uh, we were doing a team run one day and this was kind of the moment. I think we, we'd already had the new staff here and this is the moment. I think the whole team and the coaching staff kind of realized that you were going to be getting some pretty significant playing time was we had this, uh, relay at the end of the team run. And, um, it was, it was, if, whoever you were, it was like offense versus defense, I think. And whoever won wasn't going to have to do extra running and whoever lost had to do it. And the offense, we were down, we were down pretty, um, like we were behind in this relay and you were the last person and you got up and you came like, it was an impossible comeback and you totally came back and won that for us. And I think that was a big moment for me and some of our other teammates and, a lot of the coaches that were out there as well um, to kind of realize like the potential you were going to bring to the table. Uh, can you talk about, you know, one, a little bit that moment, but also leading up into the season and through that first season, um, kind of how things started to be a little bit different for you because of your success that you were having? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a, uh, every once in a while, I think back to that, that, you know, winter workout with the team. Um, that was such a cool moment. And I think, you know, college football players will, will understand, but it's, it's like in those moments when conditioning is going and, you know, someone missed the line and you got to do extra reps and it, it, it's hard to explain, but it's like in those like really hard workouts and the struggles of your team, like that's when your team really gets close. And so I, I, I love to think about those moments. And then I also think about that specific one you mentioned because sometimes I almost imagine like, what if, what if it hadn't gone that way? Like, what if, you know, uh, cause part of the relay was you had to carry a penny and pass it from teammate to teammate. And I just decided to put the penny in my mouth. Cause I thought, you know, uh, if the other team loses the penny, then they're, they don't have a chance of winning. So I'm not going to be the guy that loses them, loses the penny. And that's actually what ended up happening with the defense. But yeah. And then, and like you said, that kind of just changed, the whole like going in that was before spring ball even started so the coaches hadn't seen anyone put pads on but i think they had this idea mm-hmm. in their head that okay hey number 28 he's a competitor you know we don't really know much about him but he you know he's a competitor and i think football coaches like that and then um i think when they saw him saw us put the pads on I, and i kind of was fortunate that spring ball i made you know a lot of good plays and <clears throat> going into the season i still hadn't earned a scholarship but I knew I was going to be in the rotation at running back. Um, and that's all I wanted, really. That was like 100% my goal. There was two running backs ahead of me that had played a good amount in their first few years at Cal. Um, I just wanted to be in the rotation because I knew if I got in the game, I could you know, make some plays. And uh, ended up earning the scholarship before the season. Um, and then earned, you know, got the starting job by like the third or fourth game. Because <clears throat> you know, there was obviously injury ahead of me. Um, which was really unfortunate, uh, but um, still had to beat out another guy to get the starting job. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that that spring with the new coaching staff, that winter workout that you mentioned, it was like little moments like that 
that I think, you know, if they hadn't gone that way, you know, you, you never really know how the coaches would have perceived you or how many opportunities you would have got, or if they would have gave it to maybe another scholarship guy, a younger guy. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny to look back on those moments. And, um, I think that workout right there was definitely one of the, uh, turning points, I guess, in, in my career at Cal. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, it's always unfortunate when a guy gets an injury, but it provides an opportunity for another guy. And you really broke out, um, in the middle of that season. And by the end of it, you'd had a, a better year than a Cal running back had had in a long time. And that was pretty exciting. Um, did that change any a, aspects of your line. life at all? Be, I, would, uh, I can't watch some of the film from that year <laughs> in, the, in the beginning of the year. Um, yeah, no, we did. We did. It was Pat's referring to my, my first year playing, and a little bit of jitters yeah. in the first couple of games, but, um, <laughs> but the, I don't know, the excitement and the hype and the success you were having, did that affect other aspects of your life, um, in any ways and, and in which ways? Um, hmm. I think it, it's very, I want to say like I spent the same amount of time studying and, and paying it, you know, and, and, focusing on school but like I'll, I'll be honest when when I was having the breakout year and and doing all that stuff like I, I took care of my business in in the classroom like my GPA went up every year from my sophomore year it went up every year until I until I graduated um but I was definitely focusing a lot more on football and I think I had to because uh before the season you know in July I didn't have a scholarship in August I did um you know, at the beginning of the season, I wasn't a captain. By the sixth game, everyone voted for captain. I, I was voted a captain. Um, and, like, those were, those were like, huge honors in my life. Like, those were two of my goals before I showed up at Cal was earn a scholarship. And the, the guy before me who wore number 28, Jackson Booza, he was a walk-on, and he was a captain his senior year. So my goal was to become a captain. So, like, those two things happened to me. And, and so um, with – I don't know if it's like, I don't want to use the word hype, but like in, in that season, I think is when I really changed my mindset. Like I have a responsibility, I guess, to, to my teammates and to Cal fans. Like I have to put my all into being the best running back I can be. Um, and so I definitely, I guess, changed. If, if I changed anything, it's like I, I did more for football. And it's not that I didn't work hard in football before. It's just that like I, I just put a, just more extra effort and time into football. Um, and so I think, I guess that'd be the biggest change. I mean, socially, I, I pretty much hung out with the same people. Um, I started dating my girlfriend that season, so that was pretty cool. But, uh, we had been friends for years before that. So, uh, I don't, I don't mm. think I changed too much, but definitely just putting more effort into, into the game itself. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I want to ask about before um, we're going to dive, uh, pretty deep into, Pat's big reading challenge that um, that's kind of been his big thing over the last year uh, or two. But before we dive into the origins of it, um, I'm curious if your success on the field, uh, if that was, you know, uh, if that helped prompt you to come up with this idea and actually act on the idea. Um, I guess I'm asked if I'm asking is uh, 
if you hadn't had a breakout year, if you were still like mostly a special teams kind of guy, do you think that your reading challenge ever would have come to fruition? I, to be honest, I, I don't think it would have. I think the reason the reading challenge was able to be successful was because there was a player that these Cal fans, you know, the young Cal fans knew and thought, okay, this kid's, this guy, this player's cool. You know, he's a college football player that I look up to. And I know his name. And, and then all of a sudden this, this, this college football player comes to your elementary school and tells you, you know, that reading is important and he likes to read. So like the impact I think is just, is greater when, you know, the, the kids know the name. And then obviously then I think another part of it was the, my touchdown celebration, the, the opening the book. So that like that introduced Cal fans to, Hey, this, this is a college football player, but he, he enjoys reading. He enjoys academics. Um, so I think, you know, if I hadn't, you know, scored the touchdowns and did that, then people wouldn't have known. And it would have felt, I don't know if like, not, not fake, but it would have felt not as genuine as I think it turned out to be, because I think people knew that I have a, you know, I have a real interest in this. And, um, there was actually a game, uh, you know, about three fourths of the way through the season. It was one of our last home games, and we were doing our warm ups. And uh, this this dad comes up to me, taps me on the shoulder because I was just sitting on the bench waiting for you know, the team part of warm ups. And um, he goes, "Hey, do you mind uh, taking a picture with my son real quick?" And I turn around, and this kid is wearing a number twenty eight jersey that he, I guess they had custom made for him. Um, and so it was like in that wow, moment where awesome. I realized, okay, hey, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the, the walk on playing special teams anymore. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I have a platform now and, and kids are looking up to me. And so I think it was, it was moments like that where the dad tapped me on the shoulder and I see the kid wearing the number 28 jersey. It was kind of moment, little moments like that um, where I said, okay, hey, I have an opportunity to do something cool. Let me align it with something I'm really passionate about. I did some research about the summer reading challenge or sorry, summer learning loss. And that's, you know, kind of when I, I started brainstorming some ideas about what we could do at Cal to, you know, help kids in the Bay area or really anyone in California. So that that's kind of how that came about. Yeah. I mean, that that's a super cool moment, super cool realization um, that you were just talking about. Um, and you know, it's funny, like this celebration is like something I'm pretty sure I remember you kind of like, oh, if I score a touchdown, I'm going to open a book. Um, and like, well, someone, you know, someone jokingly, was, someone jokingly right, right. said, it was, it started hey, as a joke. Yeah. They said, you know, Hey, if Pat ever scores a touchdown, he'll probably open, you know, he'll probably pretend to read a book. Right. And I didn't tell, I didn't tell anyone at the time, but I said, if I do it, I'm going to, you know, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Or if I score, that's what I'm gonna do, and so it was kind of a funny surprise for, you know, some of the guys I live with. Yeah, that's really cool to see because I mean, everyone here that knows you, and everyone that's probably known you for a while, knows that you kind of always had a book on you, and were reading in a lot of situations, like flying to uh, away games or just kind of around the facility or whatever. You always kind of had a book on you. Um, so, how did you discover? did you find the the summer learning loss information you found that on your own just by trying to uh, align this project with something you're passionate in or did someone point you in the direction to find um that information 
So I, I knew I wanted to do something involved with the community during the summertime. And I wanted to do something with education. And um, I was just, just did some research on like stuff that's important for, you know, kids outcome in, in their education and, you know, what leads to academic success. And so there was some research done. Uh, it was like over 30 years ago. So there, I, I was actually sent an article recently about um, looking into really the, the effects of summer learning loss and if it actually is real. So we can get into that in a little bit, but I'll just explain kind of my mindset at the time. And, and the research was showing like there's a huge effect for kids if they don't read over the summertime, like showing up uh, in the school year and like what happens. And so um, that was like, okay, you know, that's kind of a big, a big deal. So what, what can we do about that? And uh, I was just talking to some people around the football offices and I kind of just, I, that's when I, I just came up with the idea. I don't know. It wasn't like, I, people were kind of surprised They're like, Oh, you thought of this. And I was like, I, it's not too complicated, but yeah, I, I was just thinking of some ideas and I kind of pitched this idea to some people in the athletic department and they got on board and kind of went from there. Yeah. Who, who'd you uh, pitch it to and kind of what was their initial uh, reception and kind of what really went into getting this thing together and getting it off the ground? Yeah, so I was doing a professional development class with Steve Etter, um, and me and him were, you know, kind of putting ideas back and forth, and we, uh, I thought of that one, and he, he liked it. So then I went to Hank Weinberger, who um, obviously you know, but for Cal fans out there, he was like the director of recruiting, but he also just helped with operations and, and stuff like that. And then him and I, so uh, Hank and I talked a little bit, and I basically typed out this one-page memo and of my idea and what I was trying to accomplish and the timeline. And Hank set up this meeting with people from ticket sales, someone from compliance, um, someone from the marketing team, uh, just all these different people in Cal Athletics came with my idea. They said, okay, we'll get back to you. And I originally asked, I said, hey, it'd be awesome if these kids could complete this challenge. And they read this number of books and they felt this journal and we give them like one or two tickets and they came back and they're like, we'll give away four tickets for every kid that completed the challenge. So right when I heard that started wow. working on my website, started looking out the logistics, um, working with the media team, building like the reading, the reading journal and all that. And then, uh, yeah. And we announced by, I think within a few, I think it was like midway through spring ball. Yeah, and I mean it was it was a huge success right from the go, um, and I mean it, it's done a really a lot of awesome things. Is there are there any numbers you can kind of just like rattle off to help people listening understand how successful uh, it was? Yeah, so like how many how many kids the completed biggest... the challenge and got tickets? Why not? Right, uh, we had. Over 3,000 kids signed up for the challenge, which was awesome. So the parent, so a parent or teacher could sign up a kid or their whole class, and so um, we sent out a bunch of reading logs to those to those kids and, and parents. And then um, from what the ticket office told us, there was over a thousand kids showed up on game day and turned in their reading log to receive free tickets to the game. And um, of those thousand kids, uh, they they were. So not all of them redeemed four tickets. 
um, they said uh, it was around 3,000 people. So if around 3,000 people got free tickets because of these kids. And then I heard from a lot of parents, you know, hey, um, my kid completed the challenge, but we're not able to make the game. And so um, it, it was well over 1,000 kids had, had read more last summer than they, you know, hopefully, hopefully read more than they would have otherwise. Um, and I heard a lot of positive feedback from parents saying, hey, my kid actually, their reading level improved from last year. Um, so kids actually, you know, improve their reading level from over the summertime or some parents emailed me saying, Hey, um, my kids never really been passionate about reading, but this summer they, you know, there's a book you recommended when you spoke to him at their school and he loved the book and he's continuing to read now. So there, you know, there's some success in the numbers and there's also some success in some of the stories I heard from the parents. And that's got to feel, you know, absolutely amazing to have that sort of impact. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a pretty surreal moment because after the game, we asked you know whatever parents or kids wanted to stay, and I was going to come out and speak to them after um, I went down to the locker room with the team, and uh, I thought maybe like a hundred or two hundred people would stay, and we ended up having like it was definitely over a thousand people stay in the stands, and um, I just spoke to them a little bit and encouraged them to as the school year started to continue to read, um, and then you know took some pictures and signed some stuff and. Uh, yeah, that was a, definitely a really, really special moment. And I'm really excited to uh, see how it turns out this year because we're continuing the challenge. And um, Mike Safel mm-hmm. has been out, out there in Berkeley helping promote it for me. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, Mike pull off the same thing or, you know, do an even better job this, this upcoming season. Yeah, it's really exciting that um, you're getting it to keep going uh, through guys that are here. Uh, I wanted to ask, because, I mean, you're really busy right now. You're out there in Miami trying to make an NFL roster, which is by no means an easy thing to do. Um, so I was wondering how involved you are this year um, or or how you've been able to help Mike. Yeah, so I, I've uh, continued to um, communicate with the parents that signed up last year. And uh, I have like a, new, a newsletter outreach thing that I, I try to send out as often as I can. And so just been talking to parents through there um, and then, you know, po- doing, doing posts on social media to encourage people to sign up um, and then just kind of giving Mike some, some advice, some of the challenges I ran into last year and kind of, you know, uh, make it, make sure. So when he steps into a classroom, he kind of knows the important things to hit on and um, you know, how, how he can best promote the challenge. And um, so I'm trying to be involved as, as much as I can, but uh you know, like you said, it's tough, you know, with the, having a, a full-time job now. And, um, but I think, you know, Mike is doing a really good job hosting the challenge. And so, uh, and I really wanted it to be something that, you know, he felt ownership or he had a lot of autonomy on. So um, for me, I was kind of like, I gave him the reins and he's been running with it. And uh, I've been in, trying to be in, as involved as I can, but uh, Mike's done a really good job of taking a lot of the work over. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, this, this challenge is continuing on for a second year, which, um, I'm not so sure, you know, everyone knew that was going to happen after you were gone. Um, at the end of the day, what is, what do you want the legacy of this challenge to be? Is this going to be something that you want to go on for years to come and kind of embody what it means to be at Cal? Um, or, you know, at the end of the day, what, what is the Patrick Laird re- reading challenge going to be? 
if the if the, the people at Cal Athletics want to continue to put it on or continue to support it, um, I will definitely do what I can to, to keep the, the reading challenge going. And and like you said, like I, I had no idea the challenge would be able to continue either. I thought, um, you know, if I'm leaving Cal, they might want to discontinue it or um, it might logistically be pretty tough to keep it going. So uh, when I talked to Director Knowlton and some of the people within the athletic department, kind of just putting the idea out there, uh, they were extremely receptive. And so that's when I just I started planning probably – in February or March of this year, um, started talking to them about, you know, really trying to nail down, okay, when are we going to start this? When are we going to announce? Um, okay. Can we get like a lead ambassador, get guys on the team to help? Um, so it's been a, it's been a few months of planning all that. Um, so if I can, if, if January next year comes around and, um, the Catholic department still wants to do it, I will, I will do everything I can to keep the challenge going. Um, cause I think it's a really cool thing and whether they keep it in my name or not, um, it doesn't matter to me as long as it inspires kids to read more. That's, that's really what I care about. Yeah. That was another thing I was going to ask about. Um, it, it's a thing that's maintaining your name and holding your name, um, and kind of shifting from the actual logistics and impacts of the challenge. How much did you think about when you were putting this together? Obviously you didn't know it was going to be as successful as it was, but how much did you think about um, the challenge impacting you from a professional uh, branding perspective? It, it came up in some conversations, but it, I, I didn't think about it very much during the planning process. I was really just trying to plan it and get kids like in as many parents and kids signed up as I could. That was like the main goal at first was just get, if I got people signed up, then we would be able to communicate with them. We'd get them to read and we get them to the game. Um, it was kind of when I realized it would have benefits outside of just, you know, encouraging kids to read was when I went to the elementary schools and I'm speaking to uh, like six to 10 year olds and you're trying to keep their attention. Uh, my public uh -huh. speaking skills just, you know, I don't, you know, I still have a lot of things to work on, but when I step in front of a crowd, I think I can, I can speak relatively well. And it's all because of just the practice of going to these elementary schools. Cause I went to 25 plus locations and it was just like a lot of good practice of just speaking in front of these people. So it was kind of, you know, while I'm touring the elementary schools, I was like, wow, I think this is a really cool skill that I'm developing that I had not thought about before I, before I started planning it. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad I got the, you know, all that experience because that's a really, it's a tough thing. I guess the, I, I think it's like one of those statistics people say is like the most feared thing in America is like public speaking. Um, so it was, it was a really, really fun thing to do. And, um, just another, like, I guess, professional development part of being on a football team was having the opportunity to speak in, in front of, uh, groups of kids and just kind of telling your story and telling them something you're passionate about. Cool. So you're in Miami now. Um, are you doing any sort of community outreach stuff there? And are you trying to do any of this similar work that you're passionate about? Or are you just right now totally focused on uh, getting yourself on the team? Well, so part of the being a rookie, you have this, um, this each team, most or 31 of the 32 teams have a, a position called director of player engagement. And the director of player engagement basically prepares uh, all NFL players, but they spend a lot of time with the rookies and the transition from college to the NFL. 
and a big emphasis for our director of player engagement. His name's Caleb Thornhill is uh, community involvement. And so um, it's been awesome because we are, we're working like 12 to 14 hours a day. So we're there at the facility from like six to six thirty, And then sometimes we'll uh, stay afterwards or stay longer and do some like community service. So we did a, um, a South Florida special Olympics football game, which I, I coached and played in, which was, you know, one of the, one of the most fun times I had playing football was with um, the, the Special Olympics uh, team in South Florida. And then um, we did a, a, a Feed South Florida project um, where we went and, and sorted and packaged food. Um, we did a Rebuild South Florida. There's a lot of – the Miami Dolphins are very involved with the community down in South Florida, and people are very proud about the Miami Dolphins. And so they make sure to take us rookies out there and do some, some cool community service projects. Um, so for that, that's been me just being on the team and, and being having the opportunity to go to these events. Uh, but the director of player engagement, he does know about my reading challenge project. And I think if, you know, I'm fortunate to be on the team again next off season uh, and, you know, hopefully build a little bit of my, build my name down in South Florida as a, as a member of the Miami Dolphins, I think it'll be an awesome thing to introduce to that area. So, uh, you know, that's kind of one of my goals is to, you know, contribute to the team this year. And then hopefully next year can start planning another reading challenge in a different part of the country. Awesome. That's super cool. Um, just get it all over the country. It's, I mean, it's super great yeah. work that you're doing too. So uh, one of the, one of the main goals of this podcast um, is kind of discovering or uncovering uh, how people figured out their passions and what they're passionate in. And um we've talked a bunch about your passion for reading and how that's manifested itself in uh, community service. Um, but for people that know you a little better, they know you're also really passionate about making music um, and listening to a bunch of different music. Uh, how do you kind of get into that? And um, are you still working on stuff? Yeah, so I, I started making, so music production might be like the most, continuous one of my you know I don't know how to phrase this but like has been a passion of mine for maybe longer than football has and um it's up there with reading uh I always enjoyed listening to music growing up but I think it was like in sixth grade my mom got a Mac uh like you know a Mac uh, laptop and it has garage band so every every moment yeah. I could I would go into her garage band app and um just start making stuff and then when I got I got a computer for my birthday started with uh garage band and then kind of graduated to a more sophisticated program and got a keyboard got some speakers and so from like seventh grade to like my sophomore year of college I was making music like every week just you know I was just I loved it um I it it was just kind of a thing like I I really enjoyed listening to like hip-hop and rap music and I really like like the the lyrical part of it but um I, I didn't think I could really be a rapper or anything like that. So I was like, okay, how could I get into this? I could, you know, who makes the beats? And I started researching all that and just found that it's like a really fun thing to do. Um, so I think like most of my passions have just evolved from just being open to new things. Like, like I said before, like football wasn't my main focus entering high school. Um, but I, you know, I wanted to play. Um, so, you know, played my first 
two years, and it was kind of my sophomore year on varsity is when I really fell in love with it. Still played basketball, but you know, just kind of switched over um, to you know a new new passion in sports. And then for um, for music, music's cool because if you learn how to make like the basic structure of a song, you can kind of transition into any genre. And so throughout the years, I've just tried to make all kinds of things, but obviously everything kind of has a hip hop hip hop influence. And then same with reading. Like I used to just read like nonfiction stuff. Um, but now I've really transitioned into just being open to any genre, all things, all, you know, if someone suggests a book, I'll definitely look into reading it. Um, so I think there's, that's like the common theme throughout all finding all my passions has just been open to new things and trying new things and, um, never shutting out the idea that, uh, I'd be interested in something else, you know? Is it something that you think you'd might want to try to get into professionally when you're done uh, playing football? Um, not necessarily the production aspect, but just the music industry. I, so for the production thing, I'm, I'm definitely not good enough to be a professional, you know, music producer. <laughs> and then the industry itself, I, I don't know. I think uh, there's, you know, like I said, I, I kind of, I get new interests pretty much every year. Um, so Sure. Uh, I think when I'm done playing football, I'll I'll find a new competitive interest of mine, whether it's in finance or real estate or, you know, something along the lines of business. Um, I think I'll try to find something that's a very competitive field that I can use some of the you know the characteristics of a uh, of football you know that you develop playing football. So uh, I haven't looked into the music industry, but I if if I was if I was a betting man, I'd probably say I wouldn't I wouldn't go into that industry. Um, I think there's probably some other, other things I'd be more interested in doing. Something to pick up your competitive drive. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so now I'm going on to the final three, which are the final three questions I'm going to ask everybody that I have on this show. Um, okay. so the first one is what is one thing that you've read, watched, or listened to lately that inspired you and you think would be worth uh, the listeners uh, time to check out. Read, watched, or listened to. It's a tough one. Um, so I just read a, not just read, but a couple books ago um, earlier this year, I read a Thomas Jefferson biography and it, it it's kind of a hard thing to recommend just because it's like, it's like, I think close to 900 pages. So I don't, rec you know, if you're not going to be interested in reading the whole biography, I wouldn't recommend it, but I guess here's what I'll recommend. I was opposed to reading biographies when I was younger because I thought, you know, what, what am I going to learn from this person's life? Like they're over 200 years old. You know what? It, I, I just, I guess I was naive. Um, but when I read a, um, Abraham Lincoln biography for the first time, uh, I realized the value you can get from, you know, just learning about other people's lives. And so uh, the Thomas Jefferson one I, I, I read earlier this year, I was very, I, I think inspired is the wrong word, but his, his leadership style, he was like a very commanding man, but he was kind of quiet and he wasn't overpowering vocally, which I think a lot of people imagine how all political leaders are today is, but I think, you know, it's kind of it's kind of cool to hear about how he, um, you know, he wrote a lot of letters kind of 
to communicate with people in the, you know, in, in Washington or, um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I thought it was cool. So I guess I won't recommend that biography itself, but I'd recommend anyone out there skeptical of it. Pick someone, pick someone that you think might be interested or in a field that you would be interested in and, uh, and read about their life. I think, I think that's, that would be my recommendation. Awesome. Um, the next one is who or what was your biggest inspiration to act on your passions? I'd say my dad, probably he's, a he's an extremely hard worker and he provided a lot for my family. Um, but his, his value was always in family oriented things. So he worked really hard and, um, you know, he's, he's a doctor, he has his own practice and all the hours he put in, uh, they all, all the material gains from those hours of work were all poured into our family. And, um, it allowed us every, you know, I'm one of six kids, like I mentioned before. And so all of us have been given an extremely fortunate opportunity to pursue what we want to do. Um, and so I'd say him just giving me the opportunity growing up and being an inspiration on, okay, you know, this is what hard work looks like and this is what you should try to strive for. And you do it all because of family. I think, uh, I think that really kind of gave me my passion to play football, um, you know, study hard in school because I don't know. I just think without him, I wouldn't have been able to, I wouldn't have done those things as well as I did. Cool. So my last question for you is what's your current goal? Current goal is to make the 53 man roster at the end of August uh -huh. uh, for the Miami Dolphins. That is my, that's my goal right now. Um, I'm kind of a short term uh, goal oriented person. Don't like to make big, you know, 10 plus year goals. I try to just focus on what can I do and, uh, you know, two months from now or three months from now, hopefully uh, my goal will be accomplished. Awesome. So Pat, um, the last thing is if someone wants to reach out to you or contact you or find out more about uh, the reading challenge or some of the other community stuff you've been involved with, uh, what's the best place for them to reach you at? So on my website, uh, walkonthenrun.com, I have a contact page there. And then um, I guess I can plug my, my social media. I think Instagram, I, I'm pretty responsive to people on Instagram. My, my handle is just Patrick Laird. Um, so if you just Google, Google my website or my name, it, it should pop up. Um, and you can definitely email me through there. And I try to get back to people as soon as I can. And then um, if you follow me on social media and interact with me, I'll, I love to love to interact with people on there. So probably those two places. All right. Sounds great. Uh, thanks for coming on with me today, Pat. Yeah, thank you. And that's a wrap on episode one. Thanks so much to Patrick for sharing his story. I know he's going to kill it in Miami. Thank you all so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. I promise I get better at interviewing the more of these that I do. There are two more episodes up right now. Feel free to give those a listen. I encourage you all to subscribe and leave a rating. And until next episode, stay stignatious.